Hello, and thank you for tuning in to Starting Small, a podcast about brand development, entrepreneurship, and innovation in the modern world. In this episode, I'm joined by Andre Negrau of Sienna AI, the autonomous chat platform designed for commerce that combines the best of human empathy and intelligent automation to transform the way you operate and engage with your customers. Hello, and thank you for tuning in to Starting Small. Today, I'm joined by Andre Negrau. Andre, thank you so much for joining me today. It's great to be here. If you could, um, can you start us out with your upbringing? Uh, where did you grow up and what would you say your childhood was like? Um, I grew up in Romania in a small city called Oradea. It's in, uh, on the western part of Romania. Um, grew up in a, like, you know, the average family in the ni- 1990s. Um, and I didn't grow up with a lot of resources. So I think from, a, from an early age, I developed a sense of just doing things on my own. Um, because there was no other way around if I wanted something. So yeah, um, I think, I think, I think it's still true today. For sure. Uh, what did your parents do growing up? I'm curious if they had an influence on uh, some of the stuff you're doing today. Um, so they worked, uh, so, uh, my ma- my mom is an accountant okay. and, uh, my dad used to manage, uh, like a, like a retail store. Awesome. So yeah, it was, um, yeah, I, I didn't really like spend that much time. Like we 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 didn't talk much about work at home, um, yeah. and it was yeah, it was pretty normal life in, in that respect. For sure. What were your, some of your interests growing up and aspirations? Say at like a young age in your teen years, did you have any aspirations of what you wanted to do, and how did that change? Right. So I I remember when I was like you know as early as I as I as I, as I can remember, maybe I was three or four, um, and I was. I always loved cars and I still love cars and, and motorcycles and planes and all these kind of toys. But I was, I was, every time I was getting like a new toy, like a, like a remote control car, the first thing that I was doing, not, I was not playing with it, but I was, I was basically disassembling it. So I was trying to understand, you know, how does it work? How does the remote control work? What's inside a car? What kind of batteries, what kind of motors are in the car? So ever since, like, since I was a kid, I loved just like deconstructing technology and understanding how it works and then yeah. obviously putting it back together and make it, make it work again. Um, and I was fortunate enough to, um, to get it. I, I got my hands on a computer when I was like four and it was probably, I was one of the first kids in Romania to get a computer and it was incredible. Wow. Um, thanks to that. I was, I was able to, you know, like I was able to use the internet when it came out and I was like, I was, you know, playing games and I really got to learn a lot of the, you know, early, I, I got to, I got to experience the, a lot of the early internet when I was like super young and I was, um, that was important for me. And then when I grew up, uh, when I was maybe like 13 or 14, just yeah. because as I said, like, I always, I, well, I kind of, I knew that I, I, I have to do things on my own, uh, in my own way. And if I want to sustain, like, if I want to, if I want to get something, I better do it on my own. Like I cannot just ask someone to help me with it. So um, at that point, I was like 13. It was 2000 and something. Um, and uh, think about it like eBay, but this was happening in Romania at that time. Uh, it was yeah. just super popular, came out. And because I had access to the internet and because I was spending all, all this time, you know, different forums and communities back in the days, mm-hmm. um, I, I quickly started to see opportunities to sell things online. So I actually started selling things on this marketplace back when I was like 13, it was crazy. Wow. Uh, and I was making, I was making like a, you know, really nice, uh, side income, um, while I was like a kid and I, I could, you know, legally I couldn't do this. So I had to, you know, find hacks and workarounds, but 
Yeah. Um, it was super great. And, and this, this was my first experience with e-commerce. Obviously, you know, there was no e-commerce per se, but yeah. that's when I started selling things online. And, um, and, you know, with that, I got myself a little bit of leeway. So I, I, I got to do things that I really enjoyed and that was building. So I was, I was coding, I was creating music. I produced music for a number of years. I, wow. I guess I always like to produce things like be it like a physical object or uh, yeah. like a software or like music, because even music producing, even these days, it's, it's actually very similar to writing code. You have to understand tools, how, we, how they work. And yeah. I got super hooked on that. And um, yeah, I was spending, I spent a few years just doing that uh, until I realized, well, I definitely need to, you know, do something here because just music, produ music producing, unless you're that 0.1%, you're not going to make a lot of money. So I, yeah. I decided to go back at e-commerce, focus that, uh, focus on that uh, sometime, uh, like some years afterwards. That's incredible having that exposure so young. I'm curious, how did you learn how to sell, how to code actually as well? How did you learn these platforms? Um, so I guess, I guess I was just like, like searching things. I, I was always very curious. So I got my way around. I, I, first and foremost, I try to do things like, uh, I try to learn by doing things. So I literally just open up an account and be like, well, how does this work? And then that's, that was my initial, you know, idea. And that's how I started selling. But I think I, I'm pretty good at understanding, like, like spotting gaps in the market. And mm -hmm. I figured out, well, there's a lot of people on this community back in the days that are requesting a different, like they're requesting a product. They're interested in buying this product. No one is offering it. And yeah. somehow I realized, well, if I'm going to find that product and then sell it to them, I'm going to make a little bit of, you know, like arbitrage there. So that's what I was yeah. doing. I was kind of spotting these opportunities, like arbitrage opportunities and um, just learning, like I just learned that way. And that that was the, that's also when, when we fast forward to today and Sienna, I didn't know much about AI. I didn't know much about customer experience and customer service. Um, and I actually, actually, I think that played really well uh, to my advantage and to Sienna's advantage because I didn't come in with in this industry with like a preconceived notion of, oh, you know, we should build a chatbot or we should build this or that. It was like, how do we solve the problem in the yeah. most creative way, in a way that, you know, our customers are really going to um, like see Sienna as something like as a game-changing uh, platform for them. So yeah. that's... Like that's how I do. Also, coding wise, I, I was spending I was spending a lot of time just like online, just finding resources that enabled me to, to learn how to code. Later on, obviously, YouTube came out and that you know made things easier. Yeah. Then I started computer science, but I guess I, I guess I learned a lot on my own, um, which is not the best thing to do. Like obviously, if you have mentors and if you you know if you can get like formal education, it's it's even better. But I, I didn't have that at the time. Yeah. I'm curious then, uh, did you end up going to school, college to study anything? Yeah. So I actually started two degrees, uh, a degree yeah. in computer science and, and, degree in, uh, and a degree in, bu in business. Uh, mm -hmm. And I was really ambitious and I wanted to complete both degrees at the same time. And that was my ambition because I knew that somehow whatever I'm going to end up doing, it's going to be at the intersection between business and technology. Yeah. I ended up dropping out for both. <laughs> so yeah. I, that's, that's my story. I actually... Uh, I dropped first from business degree because I realized it's just like it didn't really help. It didn't really bring, bring anything new. Like it didn't really help me with network nor anything. So I realized it's just a waste of time for me uh, being in Romania at the time. And then with computer science, I studied the whole like the whole four years, like the whole schedule. Uh, but then yeah. um, because of my, because of my business took off, I didn't really have much time to really finish. And, and um, yeah, I decided you know I, I 
I might as well just spend my time building the business, which, you know, I, I guess it, it worked out well, but yeah. Um, yeah. Awesome. So at that time, what was that business? I saw there were some other ventures that you founded along the way as well. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I, I kind of had this side, you know, side gig of selling things online since I was a kid, but then it really like, that was, that was never like a legit, you know, standalone business. It was just like something that I was doing uh, early, early on. And then it really, I didn't really pay a lot of attention. So I found an opportunity. Um, I, I, the business, the business that I was in was um, I was selling different, think about it as a luxury men's apparel business. So it was a Shopify business, Shopify powered business. Yeah. Um, I was selling I was selling products all over the world, so it, it was not just a local business, but it was um, it was a kind of kind of global back then. This was like in twenty. I started in 2014, 2015, mm -hmm. um, and build a build a fully remote team. Uh, again, I had no idea. Like I had to just learn things by doing. Yeah. Um, but it worked pretty well. Uh, it got acquired in 2018, and wow. that initial capital from the acquisition allowed me to build. Relevant and Kartup and then, you know, now Sienna. So it's all like a very nice gradual transition. Yeah. I would love to get into uh, the next venture that you used with that acquisition as well, which introdu introduced you to AI, your own uh, company as well, through newsletters. Is that correct? Correct. Yeah. That was actually the initial touch point with AI, um, yeah. but it was very crude. It was very crude. It was a very crude recommender engine that um, that we will, that we built. So think about something like Clavio, but at the at the more um at the mo well it was it was generating automated newsletters based on product different product based on uh traffic website traffic so it was it was solving the problem of not having to create newsletters manually based on you know trending products or you know products yeah. that someone actually looked at so it was doing this all automatically it was a pretty wow. cool idea novel idea um it, it that got a, that business got acquired after like 10 months something like that I hope you guys are enjoying this episode so far around Andre's entrepreneurial journey. I'd like to pause and say thank you to this episode's mid-break sponsor, Andar. Andar offers a variety of leather goods from cases, bags, and wallets. My favorite is the Pilot Wallet. With the Pilot Wallet, your cards are accessible with one quick maneuver. Simply pull out the trigger and make your cards fan out. I used to have a trifold wallet and that was bulky, took up much pocket space, and it was hard to navigate cards. This makes it simple and easy with one button. I highly recommend Andar and make sure to visit them at andar.com and use code STARTINGSMALL for 20% off your purchase. You can see the link in this description, andar.com and code STARTINGSMALL, and I hope you guys enjoy the episode. I would love to uh, kind of go into the introduction to Sienna then. You're, you founded a couple brands by now, acquired. Um, what inspired you to get into Sienna just last year? And especially in the yeah. consumer experience side that really hasn't been seen before. So, you know, the story, it's, um, you know, I was, I was building card to back and I was, um, I kind of, I kind of touched on car, like customer experience and customer service by uh, being exposed to card, card to, but it was never like the pure, like it was never the, that thing that we were focusing on. Yeah. Going back at my, at the point of, just you know, seeing gaps and like trying to connect dots, I started to to see through this like different customer conversations and um, just like by looking by looking at data that like there's this trend of companies wanting to automate their customer service, which is obvious. Like yeah. obviously, you want to automate customer service. You you don't want to you don't want to have a team of you know 20, 20 like 10, 20, 100 people where you could have a much more linear team. 
It's yeah. just natural, right? So it's nothing new there. I, I kind of knew that thing already. Yeah. But what I what I realized, so what what's what ended up happening? Um, I started to ask myself, why, like, like, why isn't there like a platform, like a chatbot or an AI tool or some sort of a tool that enables businesses to to build different kind of conversational experiences using AI? So not these chatbots, because the one thing that I heard. And I knew since like the early days that no one really liked chatbots in the commerce space. It's like, you know, you could, you know, you could use them, but they were not creating a really good experience for consumers. They were like just there, yeah. you know, people were like, you know, engaging with them, but they were just immediately say, talk to me, talk to agents. So yeah, I ended up, I ended up doing a, a three, a three month stint of just talking to a hundred or so merchants. So I literally started reaching out to people and I say, well, and I, this was one of the things that I, I promised myself, if I'm going to build something new, I better make sure that this is a real problem and people really, you know, they're going to pay for this. Yeah. Um, and it's not just going to be another AI startup, another failed chatbot company, which there were already probably hundreds of them. Yeah. So for me, two things were two things were clear. People need this. Like they would want to outsource. They would want to automate as much as their customer service as possible. But there was a big if. Only if that experience is pleasant and it's very human-like for consumers. Yeah, that's something like that big if it's something that no one has done before. Every you know, even the most you know sophisticated chatbot was a chatbot. Even Amazon's chatbot is just a chatbot, which you know yeah. works based on like keywords and based on like tap you know like, oh tap this and tap that. There yeah. was nothing close to like a human like experience. Yeah. So interestingly enough, um, I put together a checklist. So okay, these are some of the things that if we're gonna build something like Sina, they have like these are the, the things that. Uh, Sienna needs to check. And the first, the first thing on a checklist, it was it, it has to sound like a human and it has to pass the Turing test. So it, you know, whenever you have a conversation with Sienna, it shouldn't sound like a chatbot and it, sh it should be like very human. Like, and yeah, I swear to God, I had no idea how we we're gonna do it. But I knew that if we're gonna do that thing, people are gonna pay for it and and, and it's just gonna get adoption and, and people are gonna uh, want to use Sienna. Yeah. So this was this was last year in 2022, like towards like September, like summer, September. Yep. And um, funny enough through a conversation with, so I ended up, I ended up assembling a team of um, um, ML engineers through a friend of mine. Um, like they, they worked with large language models uh, previously. Um, yep. But also I had a, I had a conversation with a friend of mine who introduced me to generative AI. So mm -hmm. this, this friend of mine, um, he, he kind of like put, you know, put open AI on my roadmap on like on my, um, like in front of me. And I was like, hmm, this is interesting. Cause back then it was only GPT three that was available. So it just came out and it was really new. It, it, I didn't really, you know, there was, there was no one building as far as I knew in customer service using uh, GPT, yeah. but somehow, you know, through different iterations and testing, I realized, well, maybe there's an opportunity here to use something new, which we, it, again, we didn't even call it generative AI. It was like, let's just use this thing yeah. to create more human-like experiences for for customers, and we started coding. Um, we we put together the first version, and um, um, probably it took like four or five months to put in the first version. It was very crude. It was very basic, but it did check the first check the, the first checklist, which was creating human-like conversations. So yeah. we went live with the first customer towards right after Christmas, between Christmas and New Year's Eve in in, um, uh, in on December. Um, and it was pretty incredible when we saw this thing, like, wow, this actually works. Um, yeah. we realized we're onto something here. We're definitely onto something, but then, um, you know, 
it, it really worked out well. But then we saw a number of things that need to be built up because that that product that was very crude. There was a lot of things that were missing in the product. For sure. Um, especially around guardrailing and managing the conversation and context and managing the channels. But that was the initial, like that, that's how we started. And it was yeah. um I think we were the first company that used generative AI at yeah. runtime. So when when a when a response was created and it was I think it's still pretty awesome the way uh, like the way we uh, we were we were able to do this with uh, with like very little we didn't have a lot of uh, capital to do this and um, it worked. It's incredible. If you can kind of explain to the listeners, um, so how did how did this work at the initial front? Did you guys integrate with ChatGPT or how did you formulate these responses based off of the feedback that customers would ask to trust that this answer would be correct? I know you had to create some guideways uh, to do so, but how did how did that work? Yeah. So initially, we uh, it was it was um, there's a thunderstorm outside. <laughs> um, so initially, it was it was an intent recognition engine that was combined with with OpenAI's technology, and that mm -hmm. was what enabled us to, to create the uh, the responses. Now, you know, there's a number of problems that that we realized, but that was that was the initial version of it, uh, like super crude. It did work, but like it was not scalable from from many different angles. Yeah. So what ended up happening between let's say January until now, it was really build, building up infrastructure to support scaling this across multiple like multiple type of conversations, multiple channels, um, and also doing this while being hundred percent hands off. Like mm -hmm. because in, initially we one of the things that we're doing we're so we're tracking two metrics. We're tracking the automation rate. So that is how much. Like what is the lift that CNI is bringing to customer service team? So how how many what the percentage of tickets or conversations that CNI manages yeah. like fully resolves? And the the other the other one is the objective objective success rate. So out of out of the all, all out of all the responses that CNI is creating, how how many of them are successful? Meaning that they're like they're contextual, they're relevant, and they're uh, they're resolving the customer's need. Hmm. So just going like like marginally, even marginally improving that objective success rate was incredibly hard for us because when you're working with large language models, uh, one, of, one of the best things that they're, they're, they're doing is hallucinating. Uh, so you could ask, you know, you could ask ChatGP like, hey, you know, can you tell me about this? Or can you tell me about that? Or where is my order? Or, you know, I'd like, I'd like a refund. Well, ChatGPT is super easily going to tell you, sure, here's a refund. But then yeah. no one is actually providing that refund. So in our, you know, in our industry, in customer service, uh, customer experience is like, eventually we need to, we need to get to a place where the objective success rate is hundred percent. So every time CNI response, it's like, it's a hundred percent sure. Like out of a thousand conversations, a thousand conversations must be perfectly, um, yeah. like following the guidelines and whatnot. That means that we're like, our job is, is to build infrastructure and, and build pipelines that enable us to get to that point. So right now we are very close, like we've surpassed 90% success rate, yeah. which is, which is, which is incredibly, which was incredibly difficult to, uh, to accomplish. Sure. Also considering the fact that Sienna, it's the only platform that automates customer interactions across all channels. So mm -hmm. we're not just doing live chat, like a chat bot, which is, yep. you know, sitting on your website and people are like, Hey, you know, do you ship to Canada? Sure. We do. Or, Hey, do you like, we actually power conversations for the first time also through comments, DMs, text wow. messages, emails. So CNI is the platform that powers all this. And and the more channels you add and the more you have to think about like orchestrating all these different channels, yep. um, 
is because it, it, it becomes incredibly complex sustaining that objective success rate. So yeah. the more channels you add, the like the more you have to think about how do you, you know, how do you present information across those channels? So there's yeah. all these things that we we kind of have to invent. And there's things that you know no one else has built. So we were like, you know, we just have to use first principle thinking and be like, okay, well, I guess this is the way we should solve this problem because there was no other way around it. Um, so yeah. um, it's it's a totally new way of looking at you know customer experience, like chatbots and conversational AI. Um through this lens of generative AI, as yeah. opposed to the way previous legacy chatbots were doing it, and it's it's yeah. it's kind of I'd like to use this analogy, which uh, it might be funny, but it's almost like comparing two cars. One of them is electric, and one of them is combustion engine, right? So yeah. they they both cars have four wheels, they have steering wheel, they have a windshield, they have a they have a chassis, they have uh, um, like a body panels and whatnot. But when you look inside, they're actually totally different. Like the, the, the entire infrastructure is different. And yeah. I think this is, this, this is the case with, uh, with a tool like Sienna for the end consumer, even for the end consumer, the experience is totally different when they use Sienna and they have a, you know, they have a conversation with Sienna, they like 99% of the time, they will not even know it's an AI. And yeah. that that's, that's leaps and bounds ahead from what, you know, previously was yeah. possible. That's incredible. I'm curious then how does, uh, the platform know a brand? Does it does it read through the website? Like, how does it know if a customer asks, where's my order? Does it integrate through Shopify for that? Um, if it asks something specific about something that needs to be tracked, like how does the platform know that? Does it, yeah, can you tell us? Yeah, yeah. So uh, when you look inside, there's multiple layers that comprise, uh, th that pretty much end up being Sienna and the ultimate, like the, the end experience. Mm -hmm. One of them is in is the integrations uh, layer. So we indeed integrate with Shopify. We, we integrate with different help desks. We integrate even with uh, like Notion. Like we we have so Sienna has the capa the, the capacity to uh, bring in both structured and mm -hmm. unstructured data. Yeah. Create a database and then use that data to power conversations. That's one way of doing things. And then also uh, in addition to that, our customers are able to define custom automations. Meaning like they can take like a topic, think about it as a topic. You know like. Yep you know, request product about, you know, request information about topic X, and then you can define a series of actions. And, th and that's super easy to do through the platform, but it's, it's extremely um, complex at the same time, because you can use almost like prompt engineering inside of Sienna. So you can, you, you can do some mm -hmm. pretty wicked things when, when you look into like into that. Um, so yeah. there's, you know, in a nutshell, there's a number of ways to bring in data to Sienna and then Sienna takes all that, like takes the data and takes the best decision based on the automation strategy that you as a company want to develop. Yeah. Amazing. Um, going forward, where do you see, uh, Sienna possibilities for other expansion? I'm not sure if you guys are looking ahead for that. I'm you're focused D to C right now. Uh, where, where else could you see a possibility? So, you know, like I, like this, like everything in the AI space, it's moving so incredibly fast. It's almost yeah. hard to keep up with all, you know. For sure. One thing that I know, or one of the, one thing that I believe in is that um, in order for Sienna to become a really big company that has an impact across not just e-commerce, but various industries, mm -hmm. uh, it has to be generic. So it has to be, it has to be able to with, withstand customer conversations across different channels, across different languages in various numbers of, of like use cases and instances. Yeah. So I see Sienna more and more as something that, you know, 
think about it almost as an AGI, but for businesses, like you develop your own AGI, which is a little bit different from something like a foundational model, like ChatGPT, yeah. which essentially it's just one really massive thing, which can be uh, served as a, you know, as a chat interface or as an API. Um, yeah. For us, it's about how do we, how do we recreate that experience? But while while giving control to businesses, in, you know, as far as what what do they automate, how do they do it, what kind of data they use, what platforms they integrate with, yeah. So our our goal is to go as as generic as possible, meaning that we don't envision something where you'd have to maintain a thousand different chatbots and a thousand different uh, you know workflows. It's more about yeah. having one platform that you can easily plug in across your channels, including voice, and it's almost like a human. You just have to tell this you know, the system like, Hey, do this, do that. These are the different rules that you should abide by. Yeah. Um, and I, I think this is, this is where the future is headed. And I think fast forward a few years from now, uh, every company will have a chatbot or like an assistant that interfaces with, with consumers, be it in the yeah. B2B space or B2C space. Yeah. And we're going to see things like, we're going to see things evolving rap, like rapidly. So we're going to see, we're going to see platforms like Sienna enabling voice, but not that, you know, not the voice automation that was possible in the past where you have this robot, like press one for this, like not an IVR system, not even like yeah. a, like a basic, you know, voice automation, but more like a, like a, like a real human. So you would have, you would have almost human-like conversation, even through voice. Yeah. Um, obviously all channels will, will be there. So I, like when, when I look forward, when I look just like one or two years ahead, I see Sienna, um, Really providing this this foundational platform, like foundational way of, for companies to um, to launch automations across all their channels. Yeah, um, yeah. And there's you know there's there's a lot to unpack there. Even when you think about what does automation mean, because automation sure. is not just the fact that Sienna or a platform responds to the customer. It's also sure. um, how do you understand what else needs to be automated? Like what are the, like there's a framework that we follow. So there's many different things that, that get into, into that, but, but for now, just having this generalized uh, approach to uh, AI, it's, it's on our roadmap. Of course. So I'd like to conclude each episode with this. Um, if you can share one piece of advice with an aspiring entrepreneur, maybe something you've learned or regret along the way, what would you say that would be? Um, I would say it depends who the entrepreneur is, but, for sure. um, Um, well, it's, it's a thunderstorm inside. Um, I would say, you know, if you're just starting out, it's really important to make sure people would actually need whatever you're building. Mm -hmm. Oftentimes, um, we tend to, to over, you know, over fall in love with whatever we're building and we believe people are just going to pay for it. Uh, when in fact, it, that might not be the case. So as with Sienna, like I really wanted to go deep in understanding if this is a real need or it's just something that I believe it's true. Because oftentimes what you believe is true and what the market believes is true, they're totally different things. Yeah. So it's really, it's almost like a shame where, you know, you spend maybe months or even years building something that ultimately no one needs. So mm -hmm. I would, I would say, you know, make sure that people really need and it's like a real pain point, uh, whatever you're, you know, you're trying to solve. Yep, for sure. Amazing. Well, Andre, thank you so much for joining me today. And to the listeners out there, make sure to check out Sienna at Sienna.cx. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. I want to say thank you to our closing sponsor, Thorum. 
Thorm has very unique tungsten and titanium rings that's made to last long. What I love about Thorm is every piece is truly unique. As you'll see, the founder Caleb, I'm going to be interviewing very soon, his story is unique as him and his wife started this company and make timeless rings for both wedding occasions and just a style piece. I personally have the executive ring and it looks great for any occasion, regardless of the outfit or the watch piece I'm wearing with it. So please make sure to check out Thorum at Thorum.com and use CAM at checkout for 20% off your purchase or simply click the link in this description. Hey, thank you for listening to this episode of Starting Small. If you would, leave a review on whatever platform you're listening on. Also, follow Starting Small on social platforms and make sure to subscribe to our email so you don't miss anything on Starting Small Summit, more podcast episodes, or our online blog. You can find that link in this description.